Well, good morning to you all. Um, regretfully, I can't be with you in person, as Neil has said. Uh, my family member who's had COVID uh, has improved and we're, the rest of us are all well, so we thank God for that. Uh, but I'm sorry I can't be with you. I'm with you downstairs uh, in my study because it's quiet and there's no budgie tweeting and birds barking and so on. Um, but I'm really glad that you're here and I'm thankful I have the opportunity to bring God's word uh, to you all today. Would you join me in prayer, please? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Your word is powerful. Uh, your word spoken and read and preached, it's powerful to change hearts and lives and us. Lord, I pray for the strength and help of your spirit to be able to preach in a way that's clear and faithful and uh, enabled by your spirit to change all of our hearts, to help us see Christ, trust in him and have grace to follow him, the one who's worthy of that. So please, Father, work in our hearts today and through this, this word of God, and empower me to preach it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you've got your Bibles open at uh, Matthew chapter 16, the passage we're looking at today. Today, self-denial is no longer a virtue, but a sin, a sin against yourself. Self-denial is seen as dangerously repressive, threatening your self-realization, self-expression, self-fulfillment. So what should the husband who's tempted to have an affair do? Society used to say he should deny himself for the sake of his marriage and family. Now our culture says his first duty is to find himself by expressing his desires, being true to himself. Or do whatever makes you happy, it seems. Even if that means leaving your wife, putting yourself first. And what should the woman who feels worthless do? Society used to say she would find worth in serving others. Now our culture encourages her to believe that there's a goddess inside or, or buy new clothes, new things to feel good about herself, even if that means racking up a credit card debt. Today, the terms we hear are love yourself and self-expression, self-reliance, self-confidence. And yet what we see in the pages of Scripture instead is self-surrender, self-sacrifice, self-control, self-denial. Self-denial is countercultural, but it's what Jesus exemplifies and what he calls us to, and it's worth it. We're in this series through the middle chapters of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has continued to perform miracles and there's been controversies with the Jewish leaders about who Jesus is and we've seen people responding to Jesus in various ways. The Pharisees and the leaders, they've rejected him. They've wanted to test him, trap him, even kill him. They've responded to Jesus with stubborn unbelief. The Canaanites woman, though, in chapter 15, she put great faith in him. While in 16 verse 8, Jesus rebuked his disciples for their little faith. But who is this Jesus? That's our first of four points today, Jesus. It's about six months before Jesus' crucifixion, and we're told in verse 13 that he's with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. 
So Jesus has moved on this map from the blue circle to the red circle on the map. Maybe Jesus wanted a break from the crowds to instruct his disciples in peace. And he asks his followers, who do people say the Son of Man is? I mentioned last week Daniel chapter 7 and his reference to the Son of Man who would be God's appointed king who'd rule forever and over everyone. And the Son of Man was really Jesus' way of talking about himself. So really he's asking, who do people say I am? And the disciples reply with some prophets' names. Jews didn't believe in reincarnation, but like the last chapter of the Old Testament promised, a second Elijah would come. And back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus told us that John the Baptist was that second Elijah, and we'll see that again next week. The point is that the Jews think Jesus is a prophet, a a human prophet who speaks and acts on God's authority. But Jesus is no mere human prophet. He's much more than that, as Peter says. When asked, but who do you say I am? How does Peter reply in verse 16? Familiar words to many of us. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Or in the original Greek, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Christ in Greek and Messiah in Hebrew mean the same thing, the anointed one. And we, we read, didn't we, in Psalm 2, of the people standing against the Lord and his anointed one. Verse 2, and we're told in verse 6 that that's his king, his appointed king. And so when you hear Christ or Messiah, think God's promised king and rescuer, the promised king and saviour. The one who will rule over us and can save us. In Psalm 2, God also says of him, you are my son. So Psalm 2 prophesies of Jesus and points us to Jesus, who is both the Messiah and the Son of God. Jesus is both God and man. He's the divine king. And Peter sees and recognizes this, not because someone told him, but because God revealed the truth to him, verse 17. And down at the end of verse 28, promises that they will get a a glimpse of his real glory as the king of God's kingdom in his transfiguration that we'll see next week in chapter 17 and in his resurrection. So Jesus is God come to rule and save. Jesus is the king and ruler of the world and the saviour of all who turn to him and trust in him in repentance and faith. The question is, is he your king? Peter confessed that he is the Christ, the king, the son of God who saves. Is he your king who has saved you? And you can't have him save you and not be your king who's in charge of your life. Scarily, Psalm 2 says, if he isn't your king who you trust and submit to, then he will be the king who judges you on that last day. 
but blessed are all who take refuge in him. And those who are saved by him, join his people, his church. Point two, his church. And so in verse 16, we have Peter's confession of faith and he speaks on behalf of the 12 disciples. And then Jesus proceeds to say in verse 18, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Simon's new name Peter means rock in Greek. It's Petros from which we get petrified or turned to stone. And yet Jesus is not really talking about Peter, but Peter's faith filled confession about Christ, about Jesus. Verse 18, it has caused endless controversy in the church down the centuries. It isn't teaching, it's not teaching that Peter and his successors are to be the popes ruling over the Catholic or universal church from Rome. Peter is a leader and representative of the apostles, but not the all-powerful supreme leader. The apostles, they, they will have authority to speak God's word. It's recorded for us in, in the scriptures, the authoritative scripture. Yet the church doesn't depend upon imperfect Peter. It depends upon Christ. The, the New Testament makes clear that Jesus is the rock on which the church is built. He's the precious living stone that, that we believe in. Or Ephesians 2 says that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus says in, in Matthew 16 verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hades is the realm of the dead. And Jesus is saying death will not swallow up the church. The church will never die, never die. We need to remember that as living for Christ gets harder in Australia. Hell, the devil and death will not win against God and his church. And the faith of Peter's confession and declaration is what Christ will build his church on. Proclaiming that Christ is King and Saviour will continue to save people from death the world over. For the kingdom of heaven is open to people as the message about Christ is proclaimed and people believe it and confess it for themselves. Neither the apostles nor we determine who enters heaven, but the door is opened by the spoken word. The apostles open the door to the heavenly kingdom by preaching the gospel. As Peter will do after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, over 3,000 people or about 3,000 people were saved that day. And the door will also be closed to unrepentant sinners. So if you have repented, turned your, your back on ruling your own life and been saved, you've joined Christ's church. You've entered his kingdom. But actually, you can help others join it too. We have in the New Testament the words of Jesus' apostles who declare the gospel of Jesus. 
And whenever you share the gospel with another person, you're, you're opening the door of heaven to them. What happens if people go through that door by faith? They're forgiven. They're born again. They become children of God, members of Christ's kingdom. So who will you pray for, for an opportunity to share your faith in Christ with? Who do you want to pray for to be in heaven with you? Peter and his disciple Peter and the disciples have begun to understand who Jesus is as the Messiah and Son of God. Verse 21, now they must get why he came. He explains, Jesus explains what being the Christ means, what it will involve, and how he will save us. Our next point is Jesus' self-denial. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. This is Jesus' first clear statement that he will die. Instead of like other kings, grabbing military power or uh, political power, Instead of grabbing temporary glory or wealth, Jesus is going to deny himself for the good of others. To do the will of God and to save our souls, Jesus must deny himself. He says it's necessary to go to Jerusalem, suffer and be killed and be resurrected. He must do this to fulfill scripture and God's eternal plan. And promises. He must do this to pay the penalty for people's sin. Our sin. In my biology degree at uni, we studied and dissected various animals, from snails to rats and even baby crocodiles. It's pretty yuck. The guts and the blood. I don't really like looking at blood. Uh, Not even my own. In the Old Testament and in the first century, whenever you, as one of God's people, sinned, even unintentionally, you were to bring a ram to the tabernacle or temple as a, a guilt offering. Book of Leviticus said you were to go to the priest, watch him slit the animal's throat, slaughter the creature. Its blood would be collected and splashed or sprinkled on the altar, against the altar, and the animal's innards would be burnt on the altar. And all this communicated that to the Israelites that sin was costly. Sin meant blood must be spilt. Sin brought death. Forgiveness is costly. And even me squirmish about blood and guts, it shouts loud and clear that my sin is costly. Do we get that? Do we really understand how much it costs to forgive sin? For our sin required the blood and death 
of our Lord Jesus. Because an animal can't take your place or mine. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus Christ coming? He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If the punishment for sin is death and we've sinned and rebelled against God, then then we deserve death. But what does God do? God comes in Christ, in his son, to take the punishment for us. He takes our place. He dies our death. And the moment we truly believe that and turn from sin, self-rule, self-reliance, at that moment we're saved, forgiven, reconciled to God. It's amazing grace. But what what does Peter think about Christ, the King, suffering and dying? Verse 22, no, Lord, never. Do you think Jesus' response to him is a little harsh? Get behind me, Satan. Get out of my sight. You've got human concerns, priorities in mind, not God's priorities. Understandably, Peter doesn't want to lose his master and he wants glory for Christ. But you see, Jesus' suffering and death on the cross is so central to God's plan that to try and avoid it is to take the position of Satan. Remember at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness back in chapter 4, Satan tried to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Satan tried to tempt Jesus to... Take the crown without the cross. And that's what's happening here. But Jesus must go to the cross for our sake in order to save us. It's the will of God. It's it's why he came. Jesus came to die so that we could live. Jesus chooses the path of suffering. He chooses the way of the cross. He chooses the path of self-denial. Brothers and sisters, marvel at that. Marvel at that. And be thankful. And we must deny ourselves to follow him. Final point, denying ourselves. Verse 24, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When you hear self-denial, what do you think of? The things we need to say no to. Isn't that right? Like I should stop lazing on the couch and do the vacuuming. Or maybe you think of denying yourself chocolate or ice cream for a week. Or maybe denying it forever because you're dairy-free. However, denying ourselves such things is, is not what Jesus is talking about. It means to... Give yourself totally, wholly, completely to Christ. Following Jesus isn't a call to a diet. It's a call to follow him and to take up a cross. And taking up a cross does not mean carrying burdens or having problems like someone says they're 
asthma is the cross they have to bear. Sometimes we can speak about the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes we can speak about the cross as if there's no one on it. The way of the cross is no abstract code or standard. Our standard is a person, and not just a good person, but the perfect person, the Son of God. And the way of the cross and self-denial, it's the way of Jesus. He suffered rejection, mocking, beating, spitting, flogging. He suffered stripping and shaming, hanging, suffering. Dying. That's the cross. It's no quaint symbol of love. Following Jesus means following that way. Following Jesus not only means trusting him, but following his pattern. Not literally to be crucified, but in verse 24, Jesus is calling us to die. And not just to endure some minor discomforts, but to die. For some people, this may mean a call to literal death, to persecution and martyrdom. For many of us here in Australia, that that seems so distant. Yet even in our church, converts from Muslim backgrounds know what it is to have their lives threatened. And others know that conversion means complete rejection by their family. And that's huge. But even for the rest of us, persecution is increasing. Anti-Christian laws are pushed in Parliament. Christians in the media, at schools, unis, workplaces are often labelled as homophobic, intolerant bigots. One writer says, for the first time, Christians are being perceived as evil. Christianity now stands for what is perceived not only as outdated and self-righteous, but as evil. In the face of this, Jesus calls us to die to self. And that decision begins when we first repent. For in repentance, we deny self, turning away from self-reliance, self-rule to come to Christ and under his rule. And so often we thank God that Jesus died for us, but we instantly recoil from doing the same. I know what that's like, wanting to avoid hardship and suffering. But the way of the cross isn't the calling of a few, it's the stamp of every Christian's life. To follow the way of the cross means to show the same sacrificial love that Jesus showed, the same submission to God the same willingness to suffer, same service of others, same self-denial. Look at verse 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. We're to lose our life for Jesus, give up our life, our sinful wants and desires, especially for Jesus, and to have him instead. But when we find Jesus, we, we get a, a new and secure identity, a life and identity that's not rooted in our work or, or our family 
or in sex or our gender. A new life and identity that's not rooted in our health or our pleasures, whether that's shopping or holidaying or gaming or posting or streaming videos or gardening. A new life and identity in Christ where we have life to the full. You want the most out of this fleeting life now and you want to live it for yourself? You'll lose it in death. If you live your life on your own terms and by your own rules, you'll lose it. But if you decide to rely on and live for Jesus, you'll find life, real life, fulfilling and everlasting life. Jesus, he, he drives home the point here in verse 26, saying, what good will it benefit you if you gain a whole world, yet you forfeit your life, your soul? Don't be like the rich young ruler who wanted his money and his riches more than Jesus and the life he gives, because he lost it all. Choose Christ above everything else. Warren Wearsby, the writer, says, Jesus presents here two approaches to life. Deny yourself or live for yourself. Take up your cross or ignore the cross. Follow Christ or follow the world's. Lose your life for Jesus' sake or save your temporary life for your own sake. Forsake the world or gain the world. Keep your soul. Lose your soul. What path are you on? I commend to you Tim Chester's book on this too. The Ordinary Hero Living the Cross and the Resurrection. It's practical and it's helpful for helping us to see how we're to be living cross-shaped lives of self-denial. But some may be wondering, is this teaching harmful for people? I mean, these days we hear a lot about how many people are struggling with low self-esteem. Maybe you struggle with a low self-esteem, a low view of self. I've heard people say that low self-esteem is why the reason why there's so much depression, eating disorders, drug addiction, and so forth. And apparently the Solution to low self-esteem is to remedy it with high self-esteem. So people are told, oh, you need to see that you're a great person. You need to see how, how good a person you are, how wonderful you are. Or look at all the great things you've accomplished. Stop, and stop worrying about what others think. Set your own standards. Accomplish your own goals. In other words, focus on yourself. Is that what people need, I ask? Timothy Keller in his great little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, says, No. Instead of thinking of myself more, or thinking less of myself, I must think of myself less. Not think less of myself, but think about myself less. He says this is true gospel humility and true self-denial. Self-denial isn't thinking that you're an unworthy and hopeless person. No, 
You need not think less of yourself. We need to think of ourselves less. We'll be self-denying when we are self-forgetful. We need to forget ourselves, not focus on ourselves, but focus on Christ. And then we can say, as I shared recently, I've, then we can say Galatians chapter 2 verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see our worth then comes from knowing that we are loved by God, loved by Christ. And we deny ourselves when we're Christ-focused, thinking and acting in a selfless manner. Denying ourselves will mean many things. One thing it means for me is listening more. Not being quick to speak, assert, explain or defend what I think. Listening well first. Maybe for you, it's choosing not to stay angry at or get even with the person who's hurt you and apologised. Or patiently helping someone. Or getting up again to your crying baby, even when you're exhausted. Denying yourself. It means I'll go out of my comfort zone to love others at church. Maybe simply by coming to church. Even when I'm busy. Even when I'm anxious. I'll give to the gospel and to the poor. Because Christ became poor to make me rich. And instead of asking, how will this action or deed or response, how will this affect me? I'll seek instead to give and to serve. And to think about how I can benefit and build up others. So when the washing needs, washing up needs done at home, I'll remember, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or what does Christ, what does cross-shaped, what does cross-shaped self-denial mean when my friends or work colleagues sneer at my faith? When when your friends or work colleagues sneer at your faith or, or may despise you, what does it mean then? It means you love them and still thoughtfully carefully, respectfully share Christ with them still. Christian Jesus is the king who denied himself for you. So deny yourself for him, knowing that in that there is life. Deny yourself for the king Jesus, knowing that in that you find life. I close with this story about Polycarp, a man martyred in the second century. When the Roman officer called him to renounce Christ, Polycarp declared, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. 
Can I revile my king that saved me? The officer threatened to have him burned. To which Polycarp replied, You try to frighten me with a fire that burns for an hour, and you forget the fire of hell that never goes out. Some schoolchildren were told this story, and they thought Polycarp was an idiot. One of them said, You've only got one life. You've got to hold on to it. It's precious. I ask, was Polycarp an idiot? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for coming to save and redeem us from sin in your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us and gave up your life for us, giving us a supreme example of self-denial that took you all the way to the cross Please, Father God, by your Spirit, help us to look to Jesus and trust in him, the one who has saved us. And Lord, may you give us grace and the help of your Spirit to follow that same path, to follow our Lord. Thank you with thankfulness for the life that is given. Lord, we pray that you might give us grace and strength, the will to say no to ourselves, yes to serving you, our God, yes to serving others in specific and practical ways and from the heart. Lord, we pray that you might make us people who seek the good of others before ourselves. And Lord, we pray that the sacrifice of Christ would be the thing that we treasure in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray too that for any who haven't been saved by the King Jesus, We pray that they might also come to repentance and faith in him. Please have mercy. Open the door of heaven to any who are listening, watching now, who've not experienced salvation in Jesus. May they turn from sin and trust in him. And Lord, we pray for all of us that are in his church, members of his church in his kingdom. Lord, we pray that it might be our joy in all the grace that you give to live our lives for him. And Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.